Welcome back to another episode of Thinking Deeper About Growth. Today I have with me Mr. Philip Dyer, who is the founder of the Healthy Leaders Academy. Welcome to the show, Philip. Thank you for inviting me. Um, as you know, we do things slightly differently on this podcast. I'm getting that vibe. Yes, Thinking Deeper is not a typical podcast, as you know. So today I have um, left it to the universe to obviously decide on how our conversation will flow. So if you could pick a piece of paper and we can go from there. See if I can read it myself. Without your glasses. Ab ab absence of glasses. Fear. Oh, that's a good one. So how would you like me to proceed with that? How... Could you relate or could you recall a moment of fear or was there a time in your life where fear played a part to you making a decision? Uh, it would be odd if it didn't. And I would say yes. One of the, from a business perspective, one of the worst experiences I ever had was during the, uh, the last recession. So in 2007, 2008, and uh, business was really struggling. And I was having a hard time. And one night, all the data was lost. The whole database for the, the company just evaporated because the technology failed. Uh, clearly, my fear was that we weren't able to continue trading. And uh, I, I can remember just feeling like the whole world had collapsed. <clears throat> um, but the reality is that I needed to really get a grip of how I felt and rationalize it and take action. But that was a bit of a challenge. I remember it pulling me down, but it was a big, le a big lesson learned. Would you say that that was a moment of you tasting an element of failure? Uh, I don't. I wouldn't put failure in, and fear in the same category. To be honest with you, um, I've done a number of presentations on the topic of failure. Uh, failure, I perceive to be a precursor to success, uh, and you have to fail to succeed. And it's really odd if you go through life and you get everything right and everything just falls into place. And if it does, it's a big problem for you because usually when you get to that point of hitting failure, and you will, you don't have the resources to cope with it. And that's a problem. Um, I don't connect the two. No, fear, fear is um, uh, an irrational emotion that needs to be contained but it is one to help you to survive. Mm. If I just kind of take you back to a family situation for you, um, do you feel like there was an element of fear that fueled your motivation to becoming healthy based on the, the diabetes that was in your family? Oh, good question, Deepa. I like, I like that one. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I suppose, I suppose you could say that in a sense, it's galvanized me into action. My a personal mission I have is, is to die as fit as possible. Great mission. <laughs> yeah, so um, usually when I mention that, someone says, that's crazy, you know, you, we're all going to die. Nobody's going to get out of this alive. But to some extent, you can choose the way that you will live your life so that when you do shuffle off your mortal coil, you could be in a, in a, in a healthier condition rather than having periods of, uh, poor health, the disease that, that goes with it. Um, when I see the demise of my family, you know, mother, father, brother, uh, primarily all associated with type 2 diabetes, what's underlying in that is the lifestyle. So my brother and I were both overweight as children before it was popular. You know, so I know that it, feeling. <laughs> and it, it, was, it was a crazy place for us to both be. Uh, ultimately, it led to my brother becoming type 2 diabetic. 
My mother was the same. My father was the same, even though he had been a professional wrestler himself. Wow. And uh, was very fit. Uh, he was overweight. Mm. Um, when I, I can, I recall going to a doctor for a checkup. I was about 21. And I thought, no, you're not, you're not a diabetic. So, but by the time you get to 40, you will be, Philip. Thanks for that. Yeah, it's, exa <laughs> it's exactly thought. No, I've got a choice. So you're not a, you're not a slave to your genes. How did you feel in that moment when the doctor said that to you? Um, out of respect to the viewing public, I won't swear, um, but I, I was in disagreement, shall we say. Did you also feel a moment of like empowerment, though, that you needed to change how you were living your life? Or well, was time, you still too young at that point? Uh, a combination of both, really, because at the time I was, I was very fit. I was competing at karate, so I was... Um, uh, I'd be about 21, 22, so I was still very much heavily involved in that. Um, I just felt that, no, it's not going to happen, but I didn't really have a strategy or a plan on to how to make that happen. When I got into my early 40s, I was heavier. I used to do bodybuilding, and as often is the case when you stop, I've sort of like stayed and carried on with the weight and kept the weight on um, to, to my benefit and, and definitely to, to improve my overall well-being. My rowing coach at the time said, you've got bags of potential, Philip. Uh, I know we're jumping around in terms of sports, but and uh, so, but you've got to lose a bit of extra timber. And I can remember at the time thinking, I beg your pardon. <laughs> but really, what there's is no hope for us if you're like martial arts, rowing, weightlifting, like yeah. Well, there's a gap between being fit and healthy. Mm. You know, so I was fit, but I wasn't necessarily metabolically healthy. And Tony, my rowing coach, just said, "Got to lose some weight." So. I set about losing some weight and realised that at that time I was actually pre-diabetic mm. and hadn't realised until I'd had another check. Which scarily is probably what a lot of us are as a nation. Yeah, well, there's there's 5 million registered type 2 diabetics or diabetics, primarily type 2 in the UK. And subject to who you speak to, you could double that number. So it's probably around about 100% don't know they're diabetic. And that's a scary thing. I was, I was speaking to somebody a couple of days ago and he'd actually said that. Mm. Um, he's been a type 2 diabetic for 15 years. And I said, is, is it because you weren't very well? He said, no, he'd gone for a checkup. Just and a, just and it stumbled check. over it, you know, no. which, is, which is not good. No, it's not what you want to hear. Please take another piece of paper. Make it a good one. <laughs> Make it a good one. <laughs> what does that say? Excellence. Excellence. Mm. Oh, that's convenient. <laughs> uh, excellence. Well, I suppose what I could do is capitalise on, on the quote which Absolutely. I was going to give you. Yes. Uh, we are what we repeatedly do. Yeah, then excellence is not an act, mm. but a habit. And that's my favourite quote of all time. Mm. Um, basically, change your habits, change your future. Yeah. Um, we can all... Uh, it's been a long-held belief of mine that everybody's extraordinary. I don't believe that there are extraordinary people. I believe that ordinary people do extraordinary things. And extraordinary can be getting out of bed on time because you struggle to get out of bed or climbing Mount Everest. And I've met them both. Yeah. And they both require the same level of, of effort. Yeah. Discipline, I think, yeah. is, is the key. Please choose another you, one. You, you choose this time, I'll trust no, you. No, no, you, you, this is your podcast, so... <laughs> It's the contract I have with the universe. You it see, is, my, is, my listeners is. know this. So. Power. Power. Where would you go with that? Power. 
personal power. Do you think it's a, it's, it's a necessary tool or do you think it can lead to fueling the ego? Um, it's a good question. It's a tough one. I, be, I believe that you should have uh, self-power is, is about self-control. Um, unfortunately, power is often used to overrule other people and control other people. And I don't think that's real power. Mm. Uh, the, the real power vested in you is actually looking after yourself and being in, in a place of discipline. Mm. I was just thinking about it when, when I was waiting for your reception. Uh, en route here, you're surrounded by all manner of different foods, primarily sugary. And yeah, it's really not good for you. <laughs> yeah, the, the, there aren't good for you. Um, and unfortunately, people don't make the right choices because relaxation is associated with a coffee and a cake, um, sweet things. What, so many shops went past and it's just a plethora of really tasty looking items. And none of them you are smelled the good. Cinnabon, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, none of them are going to be good for you. Um, but the power is, is vested in self-control, discipline. And the words that can be perceived as, uh, as negative by people, yeah. self-discipline. Mm. And for me, it's, it's paramount because it, it maintains your standard of life, what your lifestyle will be like. Yeah. Is that what you would then tell your... Because obviously in your Healthy Leaders Academy, your leadership requires an element of power. So what, what would you tell the, the people that are within the academy? Um, How to use power, I guess, as a tool. Well, I, I, it's a word I would never use. Mm. I would always say the vast majority of people that are actually getting involved with Health Leaders Academy are leaders themselves mm. or managers. So they, they tend to think of themselves more as managers to start with. And leadership really is about humility. And the strength is in your humility, being human, uh, allowing uh, things to appear such as I was talking to a, a client bef before I came here and they were talking about the fact that they had some mental health issues um, and the, their willingness to actually share that with the team, the wider team, rather than pretend that they didn't have issues because they're the leader of the company. Yeah, and everything's perfect. Yeah, and which is a complete fallacy. Uh, being human, your, your health, you've got physical health, mental health, and that mental health can be good, bad or indifferent. Yeah. And it's so important to share it. I know it's popular, a popular topic at the it moment. It is becoming very cool, isn't it? That's half the problem. But it, but it, it is problematic. You just think there are tools, external tools all the time to support that. But it, it's not about that. It's about working together and being open and honest. Some more honesty from you then, please. <laughs> You're testing me here, Deepa. Absolutely. Especially without your glasses. Yeah. Healthy minds, healthy body. Yeah, healthy. <laughs> These are really good. <laughs> healthy mind, healthy body. The, the, um, there is, there is a, an approach that is taken uh, subject to a personal discipline. So if you've got a metabolic problem, so the body, that, that, that's treated in one way separately from if you've got what you perceive to be a mental health issue or problems with your brain, that's treated separately. A healthy mind, healthy body. Mensana incorporisano. So the Latin is healthy mind in a healthy body. You pull the two together. You can't separate them. Mm. So if you're eating, and I'm going to say crap, mm. it will affect your brain. It is inevitable. Yes. If it's affecting your brain, it will affect what you eat. And it's the circle that continues. 
It's a gift that keeps on giving, unfortunately. So the high sugar content, for instance, in in a lot of people's diet, high processed foods, has definitely a profound impact on behaviour. I think it's around about statistics for about three years ago. It's something in the region of 64 million prescriptions for uh, antidepressants in the in the UK. That's almost the same as the population. I know it won't be everybody in the population, but every time I do a presentation to a live audience, I ask them, how many of you know of somebody that's taking antidepressants? And the presentation I did last week, it was 100% of the room, 40 people in the room, everybody put their hands up. That's actually depressing. <laughs> it, it, it is, particularly as um, maybe I'm saying something controversial, the vast majority of people don't, don't require, well, they don't require <laughs> antidepressants. Mm. There's a more holistic view that's required. Yeah. Um, a tiny proportion will need something that, that's, that's chemically based, but Very that's the controversial bit. This felt like too short a podcast. If you agree with me, place a comment below. Let me know that you want to hear more from Philip. This is just a little bite-sized version. Thank you so much. It was really informative and I appreciate you being here. Thank you very much. Thank you. It was really good.